here again in the words of Scripture. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we may hear your word with joy. Amen. Our first passage of Scripture comes to us today from the Gospel of Matthew, reading from the fifth chapter, verses 3 to 12. In both of these passages of Scripture that I'll read, listen for God's special word to you this morning. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets, who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Our second gospel reading comes to us today from the gospel according to Luke, reading from chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. We've just heard a story, a passage about um, seeing people along the road, seeing Jesus along the road being dragged from one place to another. And as you hear this familiar passage again, just imagine what you might do if you were looking out of your door and seeing the people drag Jesus away to his trial and conviction. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him 
half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. I found a chart this week that showed the decline of the word mercy in common use in the English language. For about two centuries, this word has been used increasingly less. I don't think this is because we're less merciful. I think it's because language changes over time. I'm fascinated by linguistics and how language intersects with culture, and I definitely went down a few rabbit holes this week studying the word mercy. It's just how language is that words change over time, and it's interesting to follow how their use is different from era to era, and it can be important to look at when we're trying to figure out what scripture is telling us about different words. When the word is used today, mercy does not seem to mean the same thing as it does in scripture. It's often used these days in romantic pop songs in which the singer begs for someone to take mercy on them. It's like this poor word has been declawed. I was once told, by whom I don't remember, that mercy is not giving someone what they deserve, and grace is giving someone what they don't deserve. And I disagree with that statement. Mercy is defined in the dictionary as compassion or forgiveness shown towards someone whom it is within one's power to punish or harm. It's not just about letting someone go when you could keep them locked up. It's not just about forgiving some sort of debt. It's more than ju not just retaliating. The compassion part of this is hard, though, and perhaps that's why we gravitate toward the forgiveness end of this definition, the kind of mercy where we just let go of a debt. Forgiveness is something we can convince ourselves we've done internally, while compassion requires us to actually do something. And forgiveness is one of those things we just have to do if someone hurts us or owes us something. It's a case-by-case -case mercy. 
rather than something that we have to do as a regular practice. Forgiveness intrudes on our daily life less often than compassion does. We also have to recognize that there is a problem if our mercy has either a completely emotional connotation or a completely physical one. In other words, are we praying and thinking about starving children in Africa without taking tangible action to feed starving children right here in our own backyard? Or are we participating in some sort of charity without any real emotional and spiritual investment into the lives of the people we're interacting with? If you say, I care about this, but you do nothing about it, that's not mercy. If you do charitable things, but do not grow spiritually and emotionally as a result, that's not mercy. Feeling merciful without acting on it is self-righteousness. And acting merciful without emotional connection to those receiving mercy is empty piety. Look at our passage from Luke 10. Three men in the same situation. One, a religious leader, a head of the community. One, of a devout religious lineage. And one, from an ethnic group that was despised and looked down upon as less than. Had you asked either of the other two men, they would have said that this third one was dirty and disgusting and not worth the effort. These three men are each presented with the same exact opportunity to show mercy. Not the forgiveness kind, not the releasing a debt kind, but the compassion kind. And compassion is hard. These men were busy. They would have had to cancel plans, be late to meetings, put their own time and hard-earned money and effort into the situation. Their work was good, righteous work. So it seemed justified to walk on past this man lying nearly dead in the gutter to move on to that work. Only one man, the one who the first two saw as dirty, dangerous, foreign, untrustworthy, bothered to take the time to show mercy to the dying man at the side of the road. This third man, a Samaritan, knew what it felt like to be passed over by those who called themselves religious and put on a show as if they were doing God's work. Both the man who'd been mugged and beaten and the man who stopped to show compassion had been overlooked and ignored by the very people who claimed to be righteous and merciful. There is a common trauma shared between the Samaritan and the man in the ditch. And out of common trauma comes understanding and compassion. It's not always easy to see what common trauma we might have with another, out of which our mercy can flow. We each live very different lives. We have very different histories. Some of us have a lot in common in those lives and in those histories. Some of us have very little in common. And huge cultural wars stem from failure to find our common traumas. Liberal versus conservative, mainline church versus evangelical, millennials versus baby boomers. Focusing on our differences instead of our common trauma, no matter how different we are, leads us to walk past the man in the gutter just as the self-righteous priest and the Levite did. There is, though, one thing 
that no matter what, we all have in common. We have all messed up our relationship with God. Not a single one of us have ever managed to live completely into our identity as children of God, and yet, God had mercy on us. Not just forgiveness, compassion, not just emotional, but real, not just action, but love. That is pretty astounding. And it is that astonishing mercy that we are to then carry forward into our relationships with others, no matter how different or foreign they might seem to us. The Westminster Theological Wordbook of the Bible says, the emotion and affection of mercy is one of the characteristics that enables God to forgive sin, allowing the covenant with Israel to continue even after it is broken. Mercy is not indulgence, saying sin does not matter. Mercy found Israel condemned as guilty. Then, for some reason that only God understands, set free. Sin, friends, is our common trauma. Having been found guilty and shown mercy is what binds us together. Mercy is what we do outwardly as a reflection of our internal compassion for and connection to others, resulting from our recognition of the great mercy that has been shown to us. We have all been nearly dead on the side of the road, and God showed us compassion. How dare we keep on walking when we see another lying nearly dead on the side of the road? How dare we ever assume we are not all of equal value? I will leave you with a story about the Pope. And I know we're Presbyterian, but the current Pope really seems to get it when it comes to compassion and mercy. This story is about a time back when he was still a, a parish priest in Argentina. In that parish, he met a mother with young children who had been abandoned by her husband. She had no steady income. When odd jobs were scarce, she would prostitute herself in order to feed her children and provide for her family. During that time, she would visit the local parish, which tried to help her by offering food and material goods. One day during the Christmas season, the mother visited and requested to see the parish priest, Father Jorge. She thought she was going to thank him for the package of food the parish had sent to her. Did you receive it? The father had asked her. Yes, yes, thank you for that too, the mother explained. But I came here today to thank you because you never stopped calling me Senora. This experience with the young mother profoundly touched Pope Francis, who said it taught him the importance of treating every human person with dignity and mercy, no matter their situation in life. Experiences like this teach you how important it is to welcome people delicately and not wound their dignity. For her, the fact that the parish priest continued to call her Senora, even though he probably knew how she led her life during the months when she could not work, was as important, or perhaps even more important, than the concrete help we gave her. Amen.